This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, we talk to NBL legend and all-round nice guy, Alex Loughton. We reflect on the Sydney Kings Championship, free agency, and a burning question for each team for NBL 23. And what's in Nathan's yellow bag? Oh, lots of goodies, Stewie, and you'll find out very soon. Let's go. It's 9.06 on Wednesday, the 26th of May, 2022, here in Perth. It's much later in Queensland. We just wrapped up with the great Alex Loughton again, didn't we? And it was great fun. We did. And I can definitely confirm 9.06 p.m. <laughs> You're a stickler. Great time. Great time. What a, what a week it's been, hey? There's the uh, Did you see the tennis brats, Kyrgios and, and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and Bernard? Yeah. Going at each other. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it definitely seems like Kyrgios is, is fanboying on Tomic right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dear me, mate. What a crazy situation. I mean, I'm definitely in Team Kyrgios on that one, but, jeez. I mean, I'm... It's a lesser, lesser of two evils situation. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm in Team anyone else, basically. Team Dimonor or... Team Jordan Thompson, perhaps. Yes, well, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, we don't even have Barty anymore on the women's side. True. So. But it could be worse. They could be feuding over cold water. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Stand the man. Yeah. What a weird tournament it's been, hey? It, it really has been, yeah. A lot of crazy stuff. One of the things I've noticed pretty much straight away is that Emma Raducanu. She's a yes. bit, bit of a flash in the pan at the moment. Well, I hope she made her money while she could in, in case the career maybe doesn't go as long as, yeah. Yep. Nine wins, 12 losses since she won the US Open last year. Not looking great. And I know I use the phrase all the time and I, I'll use it in this episode because I used it in the interview with Alex, but the burden of expectation, mm-hmm. it can weigh heavy. That's it. Things change when you win. They, they really can. But yeah, North Melbourne's in disarray in the AFL. The less said about that, the better, probably. Mm. How was the Bangladeshi cricketers? Yeah. What a scorecard, hey? Six ducks and they still made, what, 350? Yeah, there's a bloke had a 170-odd, one, I think. 175, a 145. And a 15, I think. A f- yeah, I think yeah. Sundries was third top with 17. Yeah, right. But uh, yeah, that, that's another one of those. I was actually talking with one of my good friends at work today who is from Sri Lanka. Ah. And he said, typical Sri Lankan sort of thing. You know, you should be putting the foot on the throat and bowling them out for under 100. But shock horror, though, they allow the Bangladeshis to score 365. So not- oh, And you've dug up the card there. I have so- dug up the card, yep. yeah. Yeah, 175. First time in the history of Test cricket in 145 years that you've had two centuries and six ducks on the same innings. Oh, it's just weird. It's Yeah, it's absolutely insane. Now the NBA, we'll get there eventually, won't we, when we do another kind of newsy kind of episode. Uh, just it's so been, many blowouts, shit. so many injuries. How moving was that Steve Kerr interview, though, the, the presser yeah. after the shooting? And the what de- a well, terrible... The, the depressor, basically. Yeah, it, yeah. Because that yeah. whole... And obviously, you know, I know I've read today that everyone over there is sick of hearing the words thoughts and prayers. But at the end of the day, thoughts and prayers with everyone. As someone with kids, the thought of my kids not coming home from school. Is, oh, it's just terrifying. It is. It's it's ridiculous. So It's yeah. so hard for us to even contemplate here in Australia, isn't it? Hmm. But like, I mean, we were in grade eight when Port Arthur happened. And I remember that day very distinctly. I remember sitting in homeroom and, and gee, it, it almost feels like a lifetime ago now. We, we certainly haven't had any problems, thankfully. Uh, my thoughts and prayers are with the lawmakers to maybe have some political will. And that's Would where my nice. thoughts and prayers nice. are. But... And I will also say thoughts and prayers with the families of the survivors. Of course, survivor guilt's huge. Yeah, oh, the whole situation is just terrible. It's messed up. So yeah, we won't dwell on that. What I wanted to, to show you very quickly, Stewie. Well, I'm a bit nervous now. <laughs> we've got an NBL episode, obviously, with Alex Loughton. So I thought, oh, I've dug up some NBL stuff uh, very fortuitously in, in time for this, not intentionally. This needs to be a new segment. Well, what's in Nathan's what's yellow bag? What's in the yellow plastic bag? All right. I'll, I'll give it to you and you can have a bit of a look through. And... 
Oh, season greetings from the Paul Rogers-led and Scott Fisher-coached Perth Wildcats of, God, what's that going to be, like 2003 or something? Uh, probably will open it up. It's probably, no, nah, it's later than that. It'd no, be, it'd be, later, it'd be 08, 09-ish, I reckon. God, I um, Paul Rogers was, uh, there's no date on it. No, oh, dear. Well, there's signatures. There, there are a lot of signatures in here. That is a very fine-looking team. I see uh, Brad Robbins. I see Tony Ronaldson. I see Peter Crawford there as well. Ah, PC. Good there's there's a lot of a lot of faces. I don't actually remember that fondly though. So it's uh yeah, it's an interesting one. There you go. And there's a couple more here. Neither, none of them have years. Yeah, it was a bit of a yeah, a bit of a miss. I think you're right. It'd be later than 2003. Oh no, no, definitely. When Scotty oh, there you go 20 2006. 2006. Oh yeah, yeah. Because Scotty Fisher. Oh, the 25th anniversary. Yeah, well, that's a good one to have kept. There you go. And then here we go. Save the best for last. Oh, what have we got. Better be fires inside. Better be photos of Gavin Vanderputten. Yes. There is a very short and fluffy haired Nathan with uh, with James Crawford, the Alabama slammer. Yes, in that period between the shaved head and the long hair. And a photo of Nathan with very long hair from a wedding that we went to actually. Oh, that's it was meant to be the Vanderputten one. <laughs> there was a photo with us with Gavin Vanderputten. I do not see Gavin Vanderputten in here. I see. <laughs> I see two close friends of ours plus us. Oh well, oh, it's all it's all team. I mean, I mean, oh, it's Gavin Vanderputten. All right, well, let's let's just get to the interview, shall we? We shall. So, Stewie, we're very delighted once again to have a returning champion to our show. He is nicknamed Lousy by name, but he is anything but. Definitely not lousy by nature. The great Alex Loughton is with us once again. Hey, there, guys. Great to be here. Uh, great to chat again. Some more hoops. Love it. Absolutely not. Great to have you back and looking forward to uh, yeah doing a, a really nice recap of the season that was and looking forward to the season that will be. And my, how time flies, hey? It feels like just yesterday we spoke, but it was, I think, probably nearly a year ago or something now, is it? So it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> the, uh, the season was just something different. It was um, so many, so many uh, changes happening during the year and twists and turns, and it just went, it blitzed past. And then before we knew it, we were into the finals and, and then the epic grand final uh, sort of build-up. But yeah, it was just, uh, just crazy. But yeah, a year ago, I think we, we caught up. So it's a long time between drinks. Yeah, we were talking about the Olympics and, and Shyla Hill and all sorts of stuff last time. So thank you so much for joining us again. As you said, great finals. What what did you make of the season, I guess, before we get to the finals? Obviously, we had a lot of coach turnover. We had three different coaches, including at your Cairns Taipans, Adam Ford, first time in the helm there. Yeah, look, we had a, a mixed bag of all, you know, a bit of a bit of everything actually. Um, so many different teams sort of touted in that top sort of four, and then we saw very quickly early the shuffle go on. So teams were like Sydney were like, oh, we're not going to get it done, or they had those injuries, and then so they they re-locked and loaded to give uh, Chase Buford some firepower where they needed it. Um, and uh, you know other teams like Cairns and Tasmania had to go with what they what they originally um, signed up for. And for the Taipans, unfortunately, injuries obviously really hampered their season. But conversely, Tasmania sort of grew from strength to strength and then getting it done by committee. And we, we just saw this evolution of Scott Roth breaking the mould of budget teams being able to be successful. I've been on teams that were on that sort of similar level where you really had to get it done with a um, team camaraderie and a strong core and, and everyone sort of chipping in and doing their, um, doing their part. But Tasmania did a great job of doing that exact thing. Uh, and a lot of teams like Cairns have got their eyes up on their blueprint and are going, okay, well, we can take it to the big budget teams of Perth and Sydney and Melbourne if we get 
the right people in the right places. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic that happened and great for Tasmania, by the way. Like, I love it. I love every bit of it. And the players that I've played with, uh, three of them on that team, uh, and great to see them having success. But yeah, um, yeah, lots of lots of changes earlier on. I mean, Phoenix touted that top two or top sort of thing at the start of the year, those pre-season sort of polls. And then the, the dust settle. I guess the ball doesn't lie. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's one of those uh, agile adages that, that really came into fruition. Like, the, the ones, the teams that really had the depth rose to the top. And, and it was an exciting season. I, I think it was exciting to see the talent level rise so much to Della Vadova uh, back in the in the league. How big was that for, for everyone watching? And I just just the product is is risen so much more. And I'm sure you guys saw it too. Yeah, I think for for me, I mean, Nathan and I looked back on our, our pre-season predictions and it's funny you were mentioning how a lot of people had South East Melbourne at the top. I was one of them, had them in the top four. I had, I had New Zealand in my top four. Which so did I. Yeah. Did, did not go, it didn't go well. It, it was a tough season and yeah, we'll talk about them uh, later in the show. But you're so right, you know, everything was kind of all over the place. Yeah, Sydney, we almost wrote them off a small percentage of the way into the season. And the Ian Clark signing probably turned out to be the best signing of the entire season. He gave them so much in those playoffs that they didn't have early on in the, the season. And just that pedigree of being a, an NBA champion was invaluable, as it turned out. Yeah, look, I mean, they, they thought they were just getting a shooter. And I spoke to to Chase Buford before one of the games, just, just doing some the NBL sort of broadcasty stuff. And uh, he just said, look, we got so much more from Clark. We've got a locker room guy. We've got a leader. We've got a guy that would just rally the B team at training and beat the A guys, the starters, on numerous occasions and get fired up for that. And that's hard to actually get someone to to take the reins on that and, and lead your B team to a lot of those uh, big beatdowns of your, of your best players. So, so that, that stuff no one saw and really no one really knows about because, you know, they don't see it. And uh, just asking him about it, I knew exactly what he was on about. Clark was fired up at training on a Wednesday. The grind days where everyone just tries to punch in and punch out and kind of wait to the weekend. Clark was a player that really gave everything during the week. And that, that showed in the finals, you know, when he steps up, it just showed and and what a, what a pro and what a luxury to have, uh, like you said, NBA champion, play with uh, Bogut, come down to, to Australia and just, he looked like a casual cat, you know, like he smoothed his way through that <laughs> league and did, it, it did not worry him one bit. And uh, it was it was pretty cool, pretty cool to see. Those sort of players are really worth their weight in gold as well. You mentioned Chase Buford. What, what did you make of his performance as much as we can, kind of not yeah. being privy to a lot of the behind closed doors stuff? But, but what did you make of his performance? Uh, well, he's a, he's an inaugural champion as his first time as a head coach in the NBL. It's nothing to be well, sneezed at. No, you can't. You can't argue with the, the performance and the end result. I mean, like that that's that's set in stone now. But just a couple of things. Like start of the season, obviously, they're, they're not doing very well. Um, and then you add some big dollars, big pieces around him, and then they go and win the whole thing. Um, they were very top heavy. They only really played their starters, so that's kind of a, a G a NBA type of uh, you know mindset coming down, like G League NBA NBA coach coming down, just going to play the starters as pretty much burn them out. And 
and, and there's something along those lines where I predicted that Tasmania would it would take it to game five based on how much they uh, used their bench and shared the shared the minutes around. So I thought Sydney Kings were very top heavy in how they were coached. Um, nonetheless, the, they just held in there to get it done. Obviously, Jalen Adams had that that tweak in that hammy that was going to spell in my in my books disaster if if Tassie didn't have the sniffles. And have to not play uh, McVeigh and Kristovic in the grand final. I was just so spewing. I couldn't believe that happened. That threw all my predictions out. But I predicted Tassie would actually win a couple of games in the grand final. But uh, I, I think it, his style was very much like uh, coach at Wildcats there, Scott Morrison. Just play the stars and and try and get the job done that way, and not much room for the the bench. So I thought that had a bit of volatility to it because when you get your Melbourne Uniteds and your Tasmania Jack Jumpers and Melbourne United, Dean Vickman is very aware of using his bench and empowering his bench through the year so that they're more confident in the finals. Um, I thought he knew, he understood the assignment of, of what was important there. Um, now, Tasmania did it the best out of everyone. They had the most confident bench, and I looked at the numbers of that one leading up to the finals. So Tasmania, with about two or three games to go, their bench scored 27 points a game. The second highest was Melbourne United, 26. And guess who was at the bottom of the score bench uh, contribution? Sydney Kings, 19 points a game. So what you have there is in a five-game series, it's the, it's the, the bench and the, all the players contributing that gets it done over five games. Uh, for Sydney Kings, we saw Jalen Adams get that tweak of the hammy. I'm like, okay, this is exactly why he's been played the whole season, pretty much 40 minutes a game, right? Uh, it's all top heavy. It's all relying on him. If he went down and if like McVeigh and Christopher were playing great, if you lose one of the bigs that was actually playing well, okay, both of them going down with uh, probably COVID and I shouldn't make it light, but I just, I was so bummed that they didn't have a full squad going back into game three because I honestly believe that they would have won game three and game four and then it would have made an interesting game five, but it was just, they just couldn't hold on in the end. Um, so yeah, so back to your question, I guess, Chase Buford, I think he got some great players uh, around him and you cannot take away the performance, like I said, etched in stone, but with a big budget, uh, the Stars got it done and then the, they, they brought the, the bench along with them who, who did actually play well um, in the finals. Uh, but I just sort of managing that risk, I guess, when I say you need a, a strong score bench, it really limits or mitigates um, the, the risk of not having guys confident for finals. So, um, look, I think, you know, Chase Buford is, is, a, is a star now. I, don't, I think it was a bit shaky at the start, to be honest. Uh, and I don't know if I'm totally convinced if he had a medium squad that he'd be able to lead them like Scott Roth. Scott Roth is a coach. Yes. If you talk about a coach that's getting the best out of every single player, Scott Roth is that coach. No one else in the league comes as close. Maybe Dean Vickerman, um, certainly not Scott Morrison and Chase Buford. I wouldn't put them in that close to that. Like that's the kind of guy that ticks the three boxes, if I'm going to sort of judge a coach on three main areas, which we can get into another time, uh, Scott Roth has brought in basically every team's eighth, ninth and tenth man. He's turned them into uh, a team that bought, bought in. One, one they've, they've bought in. Two, they've got the job done defensively with tactical kind of stuff. Um, and three, they've held each other accountable and coaches kept them accountable. So if you get buy-in like that, that's that's a pretty good sign of a coach um, that that knows what he's doing. And he led by emotion, didn't he? Like he, he was just 
you could just tell he was invested and the players appreciated that. The players, see, players don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So a coach can have as much, as much basketball brain as, you know, as would allow. Like they, you can be an impressive guy that just knows X's and O's, but the players don't care how much you know. Unless you show a bit of compassion towards the players and, and show that you care, like they, they don't, you know, there's no buy in there. So Scott Ross, one, he had all the, the X's and O's covered, but he also showed that he cared for the players and they, they responded um, and, and they got it done by committee and, and they were they were rising up. So I was just very impressed with that whole, um, this the way that whole thing was put together. Kudos to, to Scott Ross. Love that answer, Alex. <laughs> love, love it. <laughs> You're speaking Stuart's language. Couldn't agree more. I dare say over here in Perth, you know that famous meme of the guy with his girlfriend where he's turning around looking at the ass of another girl walking past? Like, I think yeah, a lot of yeah. Wildcats fans, <laughs> like the, the 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 girl whose ass is being looked at in this scenario Scott is Scott Roth and <laughs> Scott Morrison is the girlfriend in this scenario. I think a lot of Wildcats fans were, were kind of uh, pretty envious. Of, of, yeah, yeah, so. It's a slightly, slightly twisted analogy, but I get where you're going with yeah. it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've probably even seen it on social media. That's probably why my mind went there, but it's just such a famous image but but the budget does take uh a lot of the coaching ability um it, it just it doesn't expose you as much like gleason with the townsville crocs yeah like it, it, that's not so the players do not speak highly of him gleason with a big budget at the wildcats got it done the biggest best coach in the world for, for four out of five years championship like okay like he's he's proven himself and he's you know he's, he's etched his name in history there as like the greatest coach of all time but I just don't think he's on that that level of Scott Roth. I, I think a Gleason, I think a Scott Morrison, I think a Chase Buford, they were able to put discipline in. They were able to put accountability in. Whether or not they really got that buy-in from players uh, and and showed that they cared about the players on the level that Scott Roth has done, I don't think that's the case. Uh, and you look at Scott Roth and the team and you go, man, I'd love to play for that guy. He, he, as, a, as an outsider and without knowing the coach at all. I mean, I know the players and I know what they say about the coach, but you just look at how they were moving the ball around. Uh, I even said to Weeksy and Steindl in that game, they played up in Cairns. I was like, man, that looks fun out there. You guys are zipping that ball around. It was flying around the horn and then finding the right guys. Like when the ball moves like that, um, it's fun to play. Uh, and that's that's a sign of uh, what the coaches instilled in the players. So it sounds like you had a lot of belief in the Tassie Jack Jumpers probably from day one, it sounds like. So I guess, were you, were you talking to those blokes you used to play with a fair bit? And it sounds like you maybe weren't surprised that they made the grand final if you were willing to to pick it to go to five. Not from day one. Definitely not not from day one. Because like I said, they, they got every team seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth man uh, and assembled this squad and then added um, the two Joshes. Um, so I, I wasn't convinced at the start. No, if, I, if I'm to be brutally honest. When I saw them um, playing mid to late in the season there where they were zipping that ball around and you could tell everyone was buying in and, and the, the pace uh, and the, just the energy was big. I thought, gee, there's something here. And then, I, and that's when I started to investigate the bench contribution and I realized everyone was really uh, putting some big numbers up. And I thought, you know what, like that, if, you, if, if your bench is carrying confidence like their starters, you know, and they're, and they're contributing in a way that's, that's big, big time to their score. Then they started to get wins. I'm like, oh, this is a dark horse here. Like there's something going on. And, and I, you know, it drew, it drew me in and it got my attention. And I was speaking to, uh, you know, weeks in Steinle and, and um, to a lesser extent, sort of Chris Levick. Um, but mainly those guys as, as sort of uh, leaders and, and more, 
you know, before uh, Chris Levick was in that sort of last year or two when I was playing and maybe it wasn't as as meaningful connection, but certainly with Weeks and Steindl, um, you know, they're just saying just saying how much of it as a change of situation from their previous one. Weeksy from New Zealand to Tasmania, he was loving it. Steindl was on a mission to go from champion to, um, you know, take another team to the championship. So he was on a different level as well. And um, you could just tell that you could just tell it was a stable situation. You could tell that they had belief in their coach. Um, you could tell the players are buying in uh, and everyone kind of everyone kind of got along. And, and uh, I know McIntosh was on the perhaps the chopping block. And I honestly thought he might be at, out early on in the season but yeah i just you could see it evolve and it was it was coming it was coming up trumps and i was just like man um this is a this is a team that's on a roll here so uh yeah it was pretty it's pretty cool to one i guess know a few teammates that are still playing and to be able to connect with them and uh it's pretty pretty uh, cool to be able to get that insight so how important do you think the chris golding injury was do you think they make the grand final if he doesn't get injured i mean you mentioned the, i mean the whole series across the semis and the grand final were kind of marred with injury, unfortunately. It did make it a little less exciting, didn't it? But I, I heard a crazy stat that apparently Tassie actually led for more of the series, and it was only by about a minute and a half. But nevertheless, they led for more of the series than Sydney did. Sydney just happened to be ahead when the siren sounded at the end of every game. <laughs> that's, that's nuts. That is pretty crazy. Like, um, the I guess the Chris Golding, what was it, a calf in the warm-up? I was just like, oh, I... I was talking to um, uh, Chris Pike, who does a lot of the NBL uh, reports, pre-game reports and post-game reports, and uh, also does a podcast out of Perth. I don't mean to shout out a competition or anything. Like that. Oh, but no, I, it's, I remember, it's the community. I, no, absolutely. I, we're all friends. Yeah, well. yeah. <laughs> all friends. Yeah, yeah, we're all this, the same cause. I remember saying the Dad's Army Melbourne United are going to be struggling down the stretch or in multiple games. So back-to-back games, final series, things like that, because they had so many guys of the older age group. They had some young guys come through, but they had like, you know, Della Vadova, Golding, Barlow. They had Brad Newley. Uh, like they had some names that were just aging. I thought, oh, gee, the, those backup games where you have to play two nights in a space of three days, that, that's going to be brutal for those guys. Chris Golding's injury was sort of a bit like that. It was it was like a calf in the, in the layup line or whatever it was, a little ping, a muscle gone. That's a old man fatigue sort of <laughs> injury kicking in. I was like, oh, like it just obviously destroyed their their chances. Well, really put a dampener on that when you lose such a firepower weapon who really destroyed the league this year in the games that I saw. Certainly against the Taipans, he didn't get out of second gear and he was smoothing his way to victory each time and was just putting daggers in left, right and centre. For him to go down, right, all of a sudden, Tazzy go, oh, wow. My energy, if I was in the Tassie team and I see Golding get the wave away sign from the, the trainer going, he's out. I'm like, guys, it is go time. Like, this is when you fire fire up like you've never fired up before. Like, that gives you a boost like nothing else. That's a turbo on the PlayStation. <laughs> it's, you know, it's everything you could ask for that you, you didn't know you had. It, the adrenaline will go take you to places energy level wise that will get the job done. Just to see him go down. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, Tassie got this. And Melbourne, they found some big performances at JLA and um, Delavadeau would have had to have an incredible shooting night. And they just didn't have enough sort of weapons down the, down the stretch. And, oh, man, Josh Adams uh, was it's just incredible. Something else, um, just some of his shots throughout the, the playoffs. Does he remind yeah. you of Scotty Wilberkin, Al? 100%. Like he's got a bit of mongrel uh, in him, eh? Yeah. 
A hundred percent. But look at the body type, like strong, but really low to the ground and just kind of like Scotty Wilberkin was the fastest laterally and forward and back, like straight line running. So I had some fast players like Dan Dillon was a, the fastest guy I've ever played with. Uh, and that was a while back, you know, in his early days, fastest guy up and down the floor, like just straight line push. But when you got Scotty Wilberkin, who basically he, he would sort of salsa around a screen, an on-ball screen defensively, right? And I'm hard showing or I'm helping on, on my big. He would salsa through the screen without getting touched, like just, just the hip movement and, and contort, get around the screen and get to the other side. Then he'd go, he'd tell me, get out. As in like, I've got this covered now. I'm back, I'm back to where I need to be. Where I was before, anyone else on the team, I'd have to help for another you know, five minutes. Uh, he or would switch. get through. <laughs> yeah, 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 or call the switch. He would yeah. get through and go, get out. I'm like, mate, it's all yours. Like, i like, isn't he a dream? <laughs> now I'm doing the twisted analogies, but like, you know, you, you, you just sort of catch yourself fangirling this guy that would just get through, get through the impossible defensive situation just by his ability to, to move his body around and, and quickly. So that, that strength, that lower body strength is very similar to Josh Adams. And shooting-wise... Is a is a killer. Like I, I just that that step back with the extra NBA step in that step back. You know the one I'm talking about from the yep. um the corner. The oh, yeah, mate. yeah. Well, there, the there are a few, but there was one it's in a, against Melbourne. Yeah, it, yeah. It's a, it's that James Harden extra step back, step back, uh, and it's a, <laughs> it's allowed in the NBA, so we allow it down here. And just the fact that oh man, is is something else. So that's a special kind of player when when you have someone like that that can carry a team through the impossible. It's just. Yeah, it's next level and it rallies the team. It's inspiring. Like you've got your inspirational leaders. He doesn't even have to say anything. If you've got that inspirational game, that's that's a leader right there. So yeah, no, it's very exciting to watch. As Nate always says, we love those irrational confidence guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Basically being unconscious, you know, you're just letting it fly. Like it's, yeah, you don't even think, you just, you just do. And it's an instinct thing. You just find your way around the floor, comes off an on-ball, crosses the street, step backs into that space. Just find separation enough to get the shot away. You know, like it's just, just incredible. So something I forgot to mention, Al, when we kind of did a wrap-up of the grand final a couple of weeks ago, was that I think I'd be interested to know what you think because it almost felt like Tassie was surprised that they were in the game three as late as they were given the, the illness issues they had and the, the, just the lack of bodies. And clearly their game plan was three is more than two. And they were just launching threes just like it was going out of fashion. But the fact they were in the game, I actually felt like maybe they should have tweaked the strategy a little bit because they were still launching threes when they were up. And I'm thinking, oh, guys, like you can probably work for some better shots here. Did you notice that or am I, am I off kilter here? I think there was a little bit of erratic like launching you know, where they could have actually just been more aggressive towards the rack, that kind of thing. They're obviously down some some bigs. Uh, and I think McIntosh, it was in foul trouble. Like, I can't remember the exact sort of stats. So there were some big bodies that just weren't able to be utilized in and around. So I think I think it was a bit of two for one. Yeah, I, I, I think I remember them shooting a bit quicker than they, than they needed to. And uh, it was probably a bit of, one fatigue and two just we've got to get it all done um it was our last chance so but yeah it wasn't the time to there's still plenty of clock <laughs> there's still plenty of clock to well, kind of yeah just put the clamps on just a little bit more poise so i think it was just sort of running out of steam uh, yeah i think they could have made a bit more of that last sort of phase but yeah it was it was always going to be a, a tough night without all those bodies on deck 
So Alex, what we want to do now is we kind of want to move on to, I guess, a burning question about all of the teams moving on from this season and looking forward to the next season. We'll kind of start at the top with the Sydney Kings. So as we all know, they finished 19 wins, nine losses, beat Illawarra 2-0 in the semis, beat Tassie 3-0 in the finals. The question that we wanted to ask you about the Kings is about the the movement from their championship team. So we've already seen that Wani Swakula Bullock has moved and signed with the Hawks. We've had uh, Sean Bruce has re-signed for a couple of seasons, which is great. What sort of movement do you feel though? I mean, obviously they have three very, very good quality imports. What do you see are the moves that Sydney probably have to make? Um, look, I think their imports are going to, their price and their stock just goes to the roof. Whether or not they can keep them on board, I, I doubt it. I think they're going on to bigger and better things. Uh, and then they have to basically do the blueprint all over again, find that guy that's itching to make it to the next level that's sort of down within within range. Uh, now that's a pretty good fee, don't get me wrong. It's probably somewhere around the 600 to 800K for the year. Jalen Adams uh, type of character. I don't think they get him, but uh, they'll, they'll, get, they'll try and get the similar kind of makeup as they did this year. Uh, and hopefully from their point of view, hopefully they don't leave it till they really need to do it. They, they might start with the team and then make the tweaks as they do, but they've got the budget to make mistakes and, and still be there when the, when the uh, whips come cracking uh, at the end of the season. So uh, I, I expect a similar blueprint, expect a bit of a, a, a top heavy kind of game style. Once again, playing the stars a lot and yeah, great to see like obviously Brucey and a couple of guys resign. I think Cooks is going to be out of there uh, and into NBA sort of territory or really high-level Europe type of um, situation. So I think there'll be some movement from their their big uh, their big three. Do you think Dayan Vasiljevic is in the same boat in terms of Europe potentially? His his stock's risen a huge amount. I think upper-level Europe might have uh, an edge uh, and a bit deeper pockets to to make that one uh, a bit of a stepping stone on his way to bigger and better things. Probably doesn't hurt that he's got that passport as well. <laughs> yeah, like, obviously, yeah. The name like Vasilovic and you got the passport. It's, it's not as big a deal now as it was sort of 10, 20 years ago to have that passport. But it's certainly, you know, Scotty Wilberkin, for instance, you mentioned before he married a um, Turkish girl. So he is a local and it does it does help out a lot on the way to his 1.5 million a year. So Euro. Uh, yeah, Euro, so, exactly. Not even dollars. I, like think he's, I, think he's, I think he's quite happy. So moving on to the runners-up, Tassie marched their way towards 17 wins and 11 losses. Of course, got through the Melbourne United team, beating them 2-1 in spite of the fact they didn't have home court advantage. And then, as I said, yes, they lost 3-0, but they actually put up a much better performance than perhaps the record books would tell people when they look at it. This year, they were playing with house money, though. Obviously, as an expansion team, the expectations were really low. Well, I think it was, what, six and a half wins was the, the over-under for them at the start of the yeah, season. Yeah, and some people were saying 10 if they're lucky, that sort of thing. How much harder will it be for them next season with the burden of expectation, do you think? Well, they, they set their own internal target of 10 wins. Yeah, the, the overs and unders were probably what we all thought would happen at the start of the season. Managing expectation this time around will be tricky because they won't get Josh Adams back. His price goes through the roof. They could get Majet back, but he was really a great catalyst for a player like Josh Adams. So Majet's only as good as that star is because he'll feed him the ball. So I think if they can retain a lot of the players, which it sounds like they are anyway, they're already on two-year contracts, then that should give them a really solid foundation to then go and get another stud. 
I think there's enough businesses that were inspired to now empty their pockets uh, in the direction of the club to go and get another stud. I don't think they'll they will have the money to re-sign Adams because I think he's he's probably out of out of this league now. <laughs> uh, so the kind of player that they get will be huge because it'll have to buy in. If they could get more of a Jarrell Martin from the Kings or a uh, Robert Franks from the Bullets, that kind of player, just a bigger version of McIntosh, like a just a bit more length to, to compete with the seven-footers in this league rather than just getting swallowed up by taller the timber, then that would probably go a long way. I know they had um, Will Magne and all that, but it's funny, even him being injured, their stocks went up. So he's a great, great big to have, but maybe they need just to elevate now that they've got such a strong foothold on on the blueprints of success and they know they got the right coach. So they might suddenly shift here. They might they might have previously had a sort of a three to five year long-term plan. But guess what? That's out the window. That's changed now <laughs> to let's get this thing done one more step, like one more big march, one more step. Yeah, all those all those sort of uh, uh, slogans were really paying off from and it's, it's so interesting. The way I, I sort of looked at it was, I go back to a, a quote, I can't remember if it was Charles Barkley or Kenny Smith, but they were talking about the Atlanta Hawks a couple of seasons ago when they started their rise and everyone was sort of saying, you know, you can only sneak up on teams for one season. So yeah, if, if they do change up what they do, and it's not necessarily all about the hustle and, and sort of, yeah, out at hustling teams, it, it would be interesting to see what, what that new game plan will look like. When you're a new player to the league, like Ben Eric Cairns, Taipans, for instance, no one knew who he was and he goes for a 20 and 10 sort of game, right? You, you can sneak, sneak up on leagues. Lay Arthur for Phoenix last year or the year before, whatever it was, um, he was a surprise packer. Now they all figured him out. Now he's back to a few pegs. So so Tassie, I and mean, we all knew who the players were. We all knew they were the the, the end of the, the bench for these other teams. I mean, McVeigh wasn't going to play a whole lot, but he's always a lot of energy, but McVeigh is playing like a stud now. Like he, he, some big threes from the logo. Like he, it was just unconscious launching from out there and, and draining him. And I think he's, he's really elevated and improved out of sight. So that's that, the confidence in that, that run that they had has really changed a lot of players into starters and stars. So they've actually got a pretty good chance to kind of be within range of, of saying, hey, look, we've got the core. Let's, let's just get some pieces knowing that our Adams and our, let's, let's take it, let's maybe try a different route to McIntosh, but Adams has priced himself out. Majet would be good to probably stay and keep, keep things going. I reckon they get a big and a, and a new point guard that's sort of similar mold uh, as best they can and try and get them to buy in. I think they'll, they'll be in a good spot. And it will be interesting, obviously, to see the adjustments that other teams make. Obviously, Perth will be coming back with all guns blazing after this season. I'm sure Southeast Melbourne Phoenix will be wanting to make a push after what they'll feel like is a pretty disappointing season as well. Well, Melbourne too will be disappointed. And you've opened the door for me there, Stewie. Would you rather Shay Illy or Matthew Delavadova starting? Illy's really looking good, isn't he? And, and I guess to follow up from that, is Delhi worth the money they're paying him? Well, it's a good question. Like, it, it, probably close to... Uh, three quarters of a mil to around that around that sort of mark a bit more you're getting a pretty quality leader and NBA experience played with LeBron James just quietly um you know like he, he delivered he delivered in the locker room from all accounts that I heard uh and watching him play he's an absolute professional um and I, I love his buy and I love his heart Delavadova you know he's always going to give you everything so I, I think he's I think he's worth the money if you have it 
technically speaking, performance-wise, you, your 10 and, and 5 guy, no, it's not worth that much. But the clout that he brings, the draw card that he sort of brings, his Australian boomers stock and all that kind of stuff that he brings to the team, uh, it's kind of hard to put a price on that when, when you know you just, you're just going to get guaranteed a leader. Someone who can enable golding, uh, that chemistry that's already there, like it's a it's big business and it and it's paid off for them uh, and they can afford to do it. So hats off to them for being able to be in that position. So it's fun to see these guys take a small step down from NBA to the NBL and how the league is so close closely related to NBA. It's um it's pretty cool. It is a shame because I guess for me, the the lasting memory of this season is Delhi going one for 11 in that game three against Tassie and Shaili being fantastic, seven of 10. He, he controlled the game really well and sort of kept Melbourne in the game uh, with Jack White, I think had a, had a great game as well. So it, it is a shame. You're right. Like he did have a have a pretty decent season, Delhi, but um, yeah, you, unfortunately you, for me, that's the memory. Would you put your big dollars behind Shea Ilya as your leading point guard and then having someone else back him up? Like, are you winning a championship with Shea Ilya as your number one point guard? It's a very good counter question. I mean, I wonder whether potentially they should have thrown sort of mid-range money at Mitch McCarron and, and had Ilya behind him. Well, they could have kept him. He was already on the squad. Yeah, but like... They, but he chased but bigger money. In yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a hard one. I mean, I don't think I would give Ilya anywhere near the money that Delhi's on. Uh, but it would be nice if you could get Delhi on a slightly slightly more cap-friendly sort of contract so they could maybe get more than one report in. I'd say it would come down. The next one the next one that comes rolling along, the next contract extension's probably on the way down a bit. Um, I think, like, is Illy, is Shay Illy the kind of guy that, like, if Mitch McCarron stays on the team, then they, they split the minutes, right? And then it, it, his contribution is sort of not halved, but it's it's drawn back to backup levels like he he really rose to the occasion this year given that you know Delhi was pretty much the, the only the only guard with the sorry the, the only backup position was for uh, Shay Ely so he he delivered every bit of more I mean I know they added a bit of bubba at the end there and for a bit of you throw the defensive lamb to the wall sort of thing and let him do his couple of things but you know I thought I thought Shay Ely was was outstanding this year and obviously six man um contention uh or was he six man of the year yeah, it was Shea. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. and, yeah, and he could have been Defensive Player of the Year as well. He was certainly in the running right. for Cleveland. Yeah. yeah, he's been with Dean Vickerman for a long time, so it's almost he's always some some players aren't some players don't want to be Batman, but some players are just happy to play the Robin role and 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 do it well. I think Shea's one of those guys. You know, the point guards that are, that are the studs. Some of them you just know that they want to shoot that game winning shot and be that guy. I think I think Shea Ely is just always happy to play a very, very good backup kind of role uh, and almost would forego a pay rise at some other team with a bigger role. He'd rather stay where he's comfortable under a coach that he trusts. You know, just just some players are wired a bit like that and I, I don't think he's ever chasing that superstar role anyway. So, But I, I think he's been very uh, quality uh, for, for the club this year. Now, speaking of Cleveland, there's some major rumours that he's gone to Illawarra. Brisbane are sniffing around. Juop Reith is another one. And, of course, the GOAT, Brian Gorgian, is gone. How bad could things get for Illawarra next season, do you think? Dude, it's an interesting one. Gorgian out. Like, what's what's going on there? So, obviously, there's some pressures coming in from what sounds like, obviously, upper-level ownership sort of thing. And there's some disagreements there. And he's like, no, nah, you know what? That's it. I'm out. So, Gorgian historically has been able to 
get in the ear of the owners and, and command large amounts of dollars spent on players. Uh, he has that sort of um, kind of ability to convince owners with deep pockets uh, that he needs a really expensive players and he's got that sort of way of doing it that you've kind of you have to go along with him like you just mesmerized by how strongly he's convinced <laughs> of what he needs that that's what you do now i what it sounds like is that maybe he hasn't got his way and the the projection of the team and the the structure has been forced in the in a different direction uh and i'd say that he's probably not on board with that so he's out I don't know anything inside. I just observing uh, all his previous history and he would often take a team to the promised land and they'll also often be worse off financially afterwards. So, um, uh, basically for the Hawks, if you know, losing Cleveland would be huge because he was the heart and soul of their whole, you know, defensive backbone. Um, Harvey doesn't do it for me defensively. He's still a gun. And, and sleek offensively, but a bit, bit sort of sketchy this year. Better last year than he was this year, but it was just a bit hit and, hit and miss sometimes. So, yeah, they, they, they just had some holes defensively. And Joop Reese got his fingerprints on the, that sort of uh, defensive report as well. Like, it, he wasn't a stud defensively all the time. So there was a, a lacking sort of base to their whole defensive structure. And, and from there, it's hard to get things done when you're just trading buckets, right? you got to you got to get some stops in a row and, and get down the other end. But Cleveland, Cleveland could do both, uh, and it was the one sort of shining light that could play at both ends. So, yeah, I, I don't know what the outlook is for that squad as they head down that new coach sort of route uh, with that assistant. It almost looks a little bit to me like a potential rebirth of the 2021 Hawks team when you consider that that 2021 team was a lot of Tyler Harvey. It was a lot of Justinian Jessup. They had a defensive-minded two-guard, uh, obviously, with uh, with Justin Simon. And you had a, a whole bunch of role players that would kind of get a few shots here and there around that. And you, you're taking away that huge amount of offense. We spoke in the preseason about how it felt like they had almost too much in the way of talent. And it, and it almost came out to be that way where you kind of saw some plays down the stretch of, of games where Duop Reef might be in the corner, not happy for a couple of plays because the ball wasn't going to him or whatever it happened to be. And I think it might be interesting to see. We, we could see one of those like back to bringing the, the pace of the game down into the 70s like we saw a couple of seasons ago where Harvey is sort of the main man and then other guys kind of feed off him and he's less of a distributor than he was this season. So that is going to be very interesting to see what happens next. The, the assistant coach obviously is, is Gorgon's right-hand man uh, and has been for many years. I'm just not buying the Scott Roth like model uh, being emulated here. I'm, I'm just not sensing that the players are going to buy in. Uh, I think he might be good sort of tactical X's and O's maybe brain. Um, I think that he'll just look like he's going to struggle to get their absolute buy-in. Gorgian, Gorgian is a different cat. He's on a different level. This guy was Gorgian's helper. Uh, he's now the head coach, obviously comes in with a lot of knowledge. And like I said, though, Players not going to care how much you know until they know how much you care, and I don't know whether um, you know he's, he's going to have the good. It remains to be seen. I'm I'm not sort of seeing it, but I haven't seen much of him. What he can do as a head coach, so a bit of an interesting direction. Um, and I guess we'll see what shakes. But it's not as exciting and kind of upper level. It didn't, didn't sort of sustain that upper echelon. That when they when they signed Gorge and they had that first year success, I'm like, man. Illawarra have really turned it around. It just seems like they possibly 
we're going in a bit of a backward step in this upcoming season. Yeah, it's a real shame, isn't it? Because they really, as you say, they really did turn it around there. Speaking of Duop Wraith, he's been linked with the Wildcats here in Perth, as have uh, Fon Maker, Finn Delaney, although my understanding is that that's not going to happen. He wants to go to Europe. What what sort of moves do you think the Wildcats should make? And, and can you see potentially either Wraith or Maker landing on the Wildcats next season? Well, they've, they've bought the top two scorers of the league. You can't do much better than that. Um, I guess you can. You can buy the top three scorers of the league. <laughs> and bring them over. Um, but, you know, the, the, the money's no object in Perth. So now it's just a matter of they're, they're going to be with Morrison. They're going to have to figure that out. Uh, he's going to have to feel like he's part of the club and not with his back against the wall the whole time. So he's going to have to kind of settle into that. That that whole situation with upgrading the big at last minute that didn't happen was obviously the turning point in, you know, where, where things kind of went wrong. But I, to be honest, I think the rest of the league kind of went, oh, boo-hoo, you didn't get your upgrade late in the season yeah, like every yeah. other year. I, I don't <laughs> think there was too much sympathy coming from all the other clubs. Fair enough. Um, so um, I think... They, they've got to obviously they've got, got a couple of good bigs in in the local guys so but I, I do think they're going to have to upgrade obviously at the five um oh sorry at their their big import position you know that the the Jarrell Martin and Robert Franks player is they're they're, they're playing at the five but they're not really fives they're not really centers they're, they're not really fours they're 4.5s and mm. uh, Chase Buford mentioned that number to me before I was like that actually makes sense because he, because he said that we've got we've got two four point fives, and he was talking about Jarrell Martin and uh, Maker at uh, Sydney there. So it made sense that they they can stretch the floor. They're six eleven. They're not quite sort of goofy seven footer bigs. They can actually do some things with the rock, uh, and they they're they're a threat. Uh, but they're bigger at the four position as well. So they they they're oversized for those when they're guarding against a Keanu Pindle, they're, they're 6'11 versus the 6'9", 6'10 player. So they, they actually got the advantage on those those fours. And as a 4.5, that seems to be where this league has really found um, a niche kind of role. So Martin and, and Franks are the first of the 4.5 uh, players in the league. I think Wildcats will find one of those. And I think you will see a few more of those talented players coming down under to uh, fill those roles because the budgets are getting higher and they're now comparable with going to Europe or Australia. So those kind of bigs are actually coming down under now. So I think I think the Wildcats really find that a bit, a bit higher calibre third import. It would be nice to get a rebounding four. That would be probably yeah. a, a pretty big need of ours field. And we say ours being, obviously, being Wildcats fans. And yeah, Duop yeah, Reef would, would be a, a great, great fit into that. I'd team. be happy with Robert Franks too, for but, that matter. Um, but yes, yeah. absolutely. Franks <laughs> would be great. Duop would be great. Perth boy, he'd really rally the fan band behind him. Uh, Majok Majok's done well in the past. I, I think he's sort of on the back burner in terms of being the first choice of your guy. Rotating in, Stuart Reith would trump a uh, Majok Majok. So we'll keep moving on. The Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, who again, many people had in their top four, myself included, a lot of people had very high hopes for, did miss out. Pretty disappointing second half of the season. Um, a number of reasons for that as well, which we'll potentially talk about. But I guess the big question is as simple as can they be a contender next season? And, and how much does that success to depend on the, the imports, I guess? Uh, it, it 100% depends on the imports. Here's the, here's the problem. A couple of games to go in the season. The Phoenix beat Cairns type ends up here in Cairns and they go to Adelaide and I think they, 
I almost want to say they laid an egg because they went to Adelaide and they, they came straight back to per, uh, straight back to Cairns within the week, right? So they, they beat Cairns in Cairns and they then they played away. I don't think they beat Adelaide. I think Adelaide actually beat them. So then they had to win in Cairns and then Cairns beat them. So what happened in late in the fourth quarter, you had Munford with the ball looking over his shoulder to coach Simon Mitchell, right? Looking back to the players, Mitch Creek and Cole Adnam, and there's confusion everywhere, right? So Mumford's got the ball and then he kind of dribbles to the side, which then signals the conditioning of the players to, to run plays. It signals Adnam to then come up to reverse the ball uh, through the top of the key. So he kind of, Mumford like, sort of goes, oh, okay, I'll pass to Adnam. Then Adnam's trying to find Creek by reversing the ball and he ends up throwing it out of bounds. And I'm watching Coach and I'm watching Mumford and I'm watching Creek and I'm watching Adnam. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Like, how in the late stage of this season does Munford not know or is not conditioned to go, everyone get out of the way? I have the ball and I'm going to make the play that will then lead to either uh, someone getting an open shot because I've drawn two players or three, but it's going through my hands. It, in the confusion of who's got the ball, who's in charge, are we going to Creek or are we going to Munford? And Coach Simon saying, well, you guys sort it out and it's all wishy-washy. And then Adnam's just trying to kind of do the role of what he's supposed to do in reversible. Anyway, there's confusion on the reversal. It goes out of bounds and then the Taipans are finding a way to win. And I'm just like, that cannot happen. First of all, coach should be conditioning Munford to be the, be the stud and say, mate, you're grabbing the bull by the horns. This is your world. Now, last two minutes of the quarters is yours. Creek is my workhorse all game long. He's done everything all game long as best he can. You're the best ball handler. You've got the rock and get the big up there for the on ball and make something happen. That's your job. The fact that it went, it turned into a bowl of soup just makes me go, Ugh, like that's either, that's on both. That's either a player that doesn't want the ball, which then you can't have him in this league, or a coach that's not telling the player and giving, empowering him that that's the direction that he wants to go. So it's too wishy washy, too gray area. So both, both of those things, it could have been 50 50. Could have been a bit of coach and a bit of Mumford, but either way, you can't have that situation in the NBL in this level of play. No, nah, that doesn't happen late in the season. So something's wrong there. Now, I would say that they made a big error in re-signing both Adnam and Layafa. You've got two of the same player, and they spoke about it on commentary as well. You've got the same kind of player, the same backup role, just sharing the workload of one player. So it's a waste for one of them. You've got to make a decision. And I know Cole Adams from Phoenix sort of territory and Layafa's found his groove at Phoenix, but it's one or the other. And they've just, they've wasted two spots going into one sort of position. So I, I don't understand that thinking of that. So that's, that's not off to a good start in my sort of observation of it all. They definitely need a new big who was just up and down and all over the shop. He destroyed Cairns one game and then laid an egg uh, seven days later. That's uh, Brandon you're Ashley. talking about, yeah? Bra- no, 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 Brandon Ashley. Sorry. Oh, Brandon, Brandon Ashley, Ashley. okay. Yep. So, so, yeah, he was too inconsistent. So he's he's not going to be able to be around next year. Even though when he got going, he was he was a he was a beast in the game that I saw, but he wasn't like that all year long. And big Joe Chi, I, think I don't think he took his option. So he... We had some seven foot five, seven footers, uh, seven foot five. Uh, big, big Lou was at um, bullets, uh, but but Joe Chi was he was actually pretty crafty uh, and had some uh, pretty good moves and everything. Uh, I don't think he's coming back though, if I'm if my memory serves me correctly. So they, they've got a few holes. Obviously, Creeks a must, you know, all that kind of stuff. But they've got to find the right 
point guard uh, and the right combination of imports because they, they, in the end, I think the imports let them down a bit, a lot. It's so funny that that you mentioned the Adnam Liafa thing because Stewie and I literally talked about that in preparation for this on the phone last night. So, and also, and I will also say the other one that surprised me was them re-signing Ruben Tarangi. I didn't think he. Had oh, a, he did nothing. I don't think season. he had a great season. No, out not at all. I was surprised to see how young he was actually. But he, yeah, he was pretty average. This <laughs> He's been yeah. around longer than I have, and I was like, how does I have him in his twenties? <laughs> but believe it or not, believe it or not, I actually don't mind Tarangi. You need a guy that's going to get the job done, like effort and energy-wise, and always do the right thing defensively. I thought he actually, in those late games where they really needed someone to step up, he was actually the only one that was actually delivering any kind of defensive energy. So I, I don't mind okay. if a guy doesn't have the offensive output, if he's contributing in a way where it, it's the studs that weren't getting it done for me. And if you have studs that are getting it done and a Tarangi's chipping in with extra hustle, extra energy, a la sort of Greg Hire, then they look amazing. If if the studs aren't getting it done and he's chipping in with six points and you're like, it's not non-impact, then it does it sort of doesn't look right. Like it doesn't look like he did anything. So I, I actually don't mind the two-year re-signing because it just gives coach a bit of confidence and stability that someone is going to be holding the other players accountable by how their work ethic is off the floor in the weight room all the bits and pieces where you need someone to try and in, get the guys going he's going to be a guy that's actually leading by example and sometimes it's hard to find and often maybe it's minimum wage but you go you know what i'm just going to go with what i know and trust and i'm going to lock this guy away and figure out the rest of it and he looked great a couple of seasons ago and so he is still quite young yeah, so he could return to that we hope that he gets back yeah to that, oh absolutely yeah. we don't wish bad on anyone so, Al, we're kind of in an interesting part of the ladder now as far as last season is concerned. And a couple of teams that, I don't know, they're kind of floating around. It's, 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 I feel like they've got some hard decisions to make. What are your thoughts on Adelaide and Brisbane? Obviously, we mentioned Cleveland being linked to Brisbane. That would be amazing if they can get him. Should they keep Patterson? And then I guess as far as Adelaide is concerned, Drimmick signed with them recently. Do you think that moves the needle much or, or is that more just to fill out the bench? Um, I, I don't really sort of, Rate Drimmick's impact at the at the Bullets last season. I, I don't. I think Bullets just they, they've kind of hitched their cart to the Patterson wagon. He's shown bits and pieces of being a stud, but I just think with his body weight and things like that, he puts himself at a disadvantage. I know he, you know some players carry their their weight well, and that's their that's their advantage offensively. But you you got to go. You got to look ahead to the grand final series, a game five. And a guy, if he's huffing and puffing down the down the floor, he's not going to be able to be the stud that he needs to be. So, I, I just I just find that I can't get behind Patterson as my champion. I think he's a heck of a talented player, but it's just not for me. I, I think they have to go in a different different direction. If I'm to be brutally honest, I, I think they need to get Franks back if they're going to have any kind of a chance. He was a revelation. I think that, you know, a healthy Sobe changes everything for a start. So, yeah. There are other imports who us. Moss, he's playing in um, NBL 1 season in, in North, NBL 1 North. But, so I don't think he's the right, he's not on the, on the level for NBL. Maybe it was a budget thing, came in at the lower end. So, yeah, they've got to find their, their right sort of, yeah, the right combination that's, that's got a bit more toughness to it. I like Kadi. Obviously, he's a stalwart, can always carry the team. Uh, great backup sort of guard to that stud. So, yeah, they've got some, got some thinking to do. Coach Duncan, got to, 
sort of throw his weight around and kind of make something happen pretty quick. Otherwise, he's going to be done and dusted in a blink of an eye. So yeah, we'll see. We'll sort of see who they kind of recruit and what their what their plans are behind us uh, with Sam McKinnon at the at the helm trying to get the deals done. Um, It'd be interesting to see if Brisbane could get someone like an like an Ebia Ra sort of player one of those sort of real high quality twos that can kind of take a game over. It'd be nice to see someone of that. Well, if, if they can get Cleveland, if they can keep Franks, Cleveland, Franks, Sobey, that's a decent big three call, to yeah. build around. True. So, so I actually, maybe there's some optimism, especially if they can get Cleveland. Adelaide, think, maybe not yeah. so much. Yeah. Adelaide, yeah, I worry about more too. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brisbane, yeah, just need to clear out a bit of the, the, the low performing uh, clutter and just sort of clear the way for some, some fresh thinking maybe obviously there's there's so big guy like a, the the high scoring two or three man is kind of like your your Tajir McCall sort of player that's a bit bit sort of taller but just agile enough to just get what he wants at the rim but then you need someone that can shoot the ball like you need someone that can knock it down and is a threat from three because otherwise the the whole floor shrinks because someone can't shoot then so they got five defenders guarding four offensive players really so yeah you, you've got to be able to have that that scoring punch, that Tory Craig kind of cat that's just lurking around doing anything and getting his getting his way, putting points on the board. Someone that's just unstoppable on top of their stud point guard. So, so I do think it's a change of a change of Patterson, to be honest. So for Adelaide, um, they obviously in a world of hurt. Uh, Humphrey's going down. He's been a bit injury prone in the last few years, but I really liked him coming out of Sydney, going in the NBA and coming back. I thought, oh sweet, get to see more Humphreys, but. Uh, as each year kind of painstakingly goes along, we, we sort of lose a bit more of what he can do. Um, I thought Soto was great end of the season, but not not real convincing at the start. Um, so yeah, Mitch McCarron signing there was, was obviously a great thing, but obviously new coach with Bruton at the helm is going to go through some growing pains and try and figure it all out. They didn't get their they didn't get their imports right. Obviously had high hopes for the sharpshooter, and that that didn't sort of go. According to plan, so they're going to have to, yeah, kind of rethink that one and uh, just get a fresh new kit. I, I, I can't base my defensive team around uh, Daniel Johnson. I don't think there is much defense there. He, he's an offensive talent, but I just worry every time you you build your defensive sort of hopes and dreams around your you a guy like Johnson. I just don't think he's that he doesn't really sort of care around the defensive end enough. To, to really go, right, we're hanging our hat on this five right here to get it done defensively down the stretch of a game and into the into the finals. You guys are going to take us to the promised land. You know, these are your five starters, right? They need some backup there at that defensive sort of big, big department. It's so interesting that you even start with Isaac Humphreys as well. I mean, plays 25 out of 56 games these last two seasons. He couldn't even get 18 minutes a game out of him in the six games that he played this season, which is obviously an issue. If he's fresh and he's healthy, he's on the court. He does have that talent to to stretch the floor out, but finish inside as well. Good shot blocker. Uh, yeah, but you're, I mean, you're so right as well about the the imports. I mean, Dusty Hannes, he showed those glimpses early in the, uh, I guess, the preseason stuff. But just, Perth. yeah, just never really did anything consistently in that season. And obviously we know Todd Withers, Probably shouldn't have had a job after a few games, but I don't think Adelaide really had many choices they could really choose from. I thought early on that Todd would be no longer with us, uh, <laughs> so, but he did stay. He did stay the whole season. So I mean, there's obviously a budget sort of uh, constraint there as well. So they're going to have to. It's hard to nail the right sort of imports in one in, in your first go. So yeah, I think 
I think CJ will learn from that and, and um, I'm sure he'll, he'll get it right. He's got a lot of basketball knowledge behind him and uh, a lot of reputation as well. So he'll figure it out. So obviously, uh, we've got to ask about Cairns. There were some shining lights last season with Bull Kowal and Keanu Pinder, who's resigned, but it was a little bit of a disappointing season. Apparently, Scott Machado is in talks to return. Would, would that be a mistake? Is it time to move on from him, do you think, or is a lot of that down to the injury? I think it was a bit of a disappointing performance across um, a lot of the players. Obviously, Machado's, you know, your leading man. And yeah, there were some injuries and things like that. But I, I honestly, I don't think the performance will warrant a, a re-signing of anything noteworthy because, you know, as players, you, you want to maintain your stock and your, you know, your level there. Um the price would have to come way down because he needs a year to prove himself again that he's worth what, what he's been commanding. And it's nothing on the personal level or loyalty or anything like that. It's just, it's about performance in this league. And it, it always has been like, you think a team might've been loyal to someone. Like my, I was at the club for nine years and I didn't, I never saw it as the club being loyal to me is why I stayed for nine years or me being loyal to the club why I stayed for nine years. I felt like I delivered on performance and then that was rewarded with the contract and therefore they just sort of mounted up to nine years. It was just purely based on performance. I mean, and I understood what I could bring to the table leadership-wise and all that sort of stuff, but none of that really matters if you're, if you're, not, if you're not producing on the floor. Like That's your product. <laughs> that's the number one thing. And if um, you know, the sponsors pour in the, the six-figure deals and don't get a return on that investment, then guess what? They're not going to put their hand up for the same thing again. So it's probably at the stage where he probably wouldn't be re-signed purely based on performance. And like I said, you've got to, he's probably got to prove himself for a year that he's back to full health. And is, is a, are the type ends a team that can afford to take the risk of just signing him up and seeing if he's okay for a year? That, that can't happen. This, this is a team, low-budget team, that needs performance now. And so they need someone that's proved themselves in their last league, in the last season that they've been playing. So they need someone that's coming off a hot season, someone that's full of confidence, someone that's not injured. And potentially the model is a um, of the players that they're bringing in is a younger crew, a bit less injury prone and a bit more, um, you know, a bit more of the energy. And so I, I'd say that the, the club probably w- wouldn't be pursuing the uh, import of, um, uh, sorry, pursuing Machado for this one. So you're, essentially you're saying rebuild around Tajir McCall? What yeah, do you reckon so. he stays or is he NBA bound, do you think? No, no, I don't think he's NBA bound. I think he's got some holes in his offensive end. Um, he, he, he ended up shooting about 24%, but he didn't really have to guard him from three. But no one could stay in front of him from two-point land. So, I mean, he was, um, he was, he was pretty effective in a lot of different areas uh, at the rim. And that opened up the floor for guys like Bull Quail to, to launch away. So, I, I, and I think the energy was infectious. I think basketball from his play, he was uh, inspiring. And not so much the, the vocal side, he was very vocal as well. So that they obviously identified a lot of leadership in him. But, uh, you know, he just, he just played. He just hooped. Guys couldn't stand in front of him. He had such, he's got so much turn in his Euro step game to the rim. Uh, at that two-point land, uh, he was just able to be really effective. And 16 points a game, obviously, he would be the club MVP for sure. And so, yeah, I think he's definitely a guy that you rebuild around and you bring in guys like Keanu Pinder and Bull who I think Bull has that leadership potential in a year or two because he's really level-headed. Keanu Pinder's more erratic, 
Tajir is pretty erratic as well, but very inspiring with his play. So th- that's your three starting points for me. Uh, and then you've got to get your, um, you know, your Jarrell Martin, your 4.5 or your Robert Franks kind of guy around in that import big spot. I think we, I think the, you know, the club got what they paid for with Zimmerman. He was a 10 and 10 guy. Like he, he kind of delivered in a fundamentally sound, unexciting way. <laughs> but it, Stewie it has also, some thoughts. On, yeah, yeah. I, I, I wasn't, <laughs> a big, wasn't a big fan of Big Zim. I thought he, I thought he should have averaged probably twenty and fifteen. But anyway, if you if you knew what what they paid for him, I think he delivered exactly. You know, you, you get what you pay for in that in that scenario. Um, and I, and I think his numbers were were sort of solid for what they were expecting. So he, he was eaten up by like your, your JLAs of the league. The guys are a bit more size to a length in their arms and, um, you know, were able to get to his shots and it just kind of stifled him a lot on offensively. Jop Reef got the better of him a few times, but he was sort of always there. I guess there was no one really subbing in behind him too closely. Like Jawa was on to 12 minutes a game, maybe 10. So it was sort of just Zim sitting in that five spot until they needed to go smaller with Pinder and, and Deng as a group of five coming in um, combination. So, yeah, I think, I think Zim's on the way out, though, because they'll, they'll have to kind of mix it up a bit um, and, and try and get this young, exciting, as most athletic as possible kind of team together and kind of release the hounds, even though it might be a bit erratic and might be lacking a bit of stability. I think that's the direction they're going to have to go uh, with the budget. It'll be a fun team to watch if they do. Yeah, well, hopefully. Hopefully they bounce back. Then finally, New Zealand now, we've got, we feel so sorry for them given they haven't had home cooking for two years. And interestingly, like Shamir said to me, his kids were booked in to go to school in Melbourne. Like this is a team that had to relocate to, to hotels in Melbourne uh, and their, you know, their home club is New Zealand, right? So but how are they living in Melbourne, kids going to school, in, enrolled in school in Melbourne and wow. playing out of a home court in Tasmania away? Wow. They played a home game away in Adelaide. They played a home game away in Cairns. Their intro mixtape was, was was fun. Uh, they commanded the Taipans home court locker room and they pushed the Taipans to the away team's locker room oh, like no. just to try and take a bit of an advantage, but there was none there. But it was still enough to be different and they played in front of zero, you know, when they played in front of zero crowd. So, like, bloody hell, like, they've had to tough it out. And good on Steindl in, the, in his uh, commiseration speech. Yes, thanking that was very classy. For, uh, thanking New Zealand, like how classy. So very classy. the whole league knows what they've had to go through. Um, they can't sympathise with it because they don't know what they've had to go through. But I don't think, I think you're right for picking them to do a bit better with Siva, a healthy Siva um, who was injured early. That really, really messed him up a lot. So and I think Peyton's um, would be would have been a great, great one to watch, especially early on, but just got on the back foot once he came back in. So look, New Zealand rebuilds with their assistant coach now and Shamir back to Europe and a bunch of new players and things like that. Um, Wetzel was a revelation of just how well he played for them. I really, really rated Wetzel, like his ability to to like catch the these wayward passes and he would turn a bad pass into like a good one and he'd finish. Like he'd catch some pass that was going behind him. He'd just have this sort of sphere of being able to rope in the ball uh, and then still put it in the right spot and kiss it off the glass and, and put points on the board. And then he makes the guard look good who just happened to throw a knuckleball and he just he scooped out. He just had that those good hands and, and ability to finish. So good luck to him in Europe as well. Um, Do you think he yeah, has NBA potential? I'm a big fan of his too. 
Oh yeah, he undersized, undersized yeah, okay. for what he can do. Just undersized. You need to be able to um, jump like Will Magney to have a chance. Uh, jump like Baines, who can get sort of two elbows on the rim. You need a, just that elevation, just a bit more athleticism. But yeah, Europe, he'll be a beast. I think he's, I think he's great. I think he's six ten. Yeah, very handy and very skilled. Great finisher, and yeah, really, really rate Wetzel. I think it might be nice if, I don't know how realistic this is, but I think it would be really classy of the league if they had the NBL Cup in New Zealand, for example, hopefully next season. I don't know even know if that's a possibility, but they've really toiled, haven't they? So I think collectively yeah, all NBL fans are, are taking their hats off to the breakers. Yeah, look, I, I think that's not a bad idea, like just, just to sort of rally rally the troops in New Zealand um, to come and check out more games and, and spread it out over the whole country, right? Like that's you've got your games well, in Dunedin, yeah. and you, you go North Island and, and you just spread them out and just saturate the league and say, hey, remember us? <laughs> remember us and remember yeah, your squad? Yeah, I, like, I think it'd be a great opportunity to yeah. keep the interest in the league yeah, they do they, they do well in their New Zealand NBL. Like it's very well supported over there. Uh, I don't think they I don't think it would take them much to to jump back on board to the breakers and all that. And especially it's yeah, their home fans are, we'd be missing it for sure. But yeah, you'll see a lot of a lot of the breakers in action in FIBA uh, qualifiers, and then you'll see a lot of them. Uh, and the NBL players in the New Zealand NBL in the off season, um, a lot of a lot of players over there, including like Lataji and McCall and you know Jared Kenny, all those guys. And or your, your your normal favorites. So um, yeah, I think uh, it'll it'll be good once the borders are open. Everything's sort of back to getting all over the the countryside of, of both nations and and just sort of feeling a sense of some sense of normalcy again. Well, thank you so much, Alex. We appreciate your time so much. We know that it's nearly eleven o'clock over there in Queensland. So thank yeah. you. You're <laughs> always so generous with us, and we just appreciate it so much. So thank you so much. Was there anything you wanted to plug? Oh, no, look, just great to chat hoops. Great to uh, be on board with the NBL stuff for me personally. I'm just doing the sideline broadcast, uh, hopefully again next year, which is always, uh, it's been a lot of fun at the tail end of this past season. So just, yeah, it's, it's been great to just sort of be involved still, uh, even though it's three years on since uh, lacing them up. But uh, look, I'll, I'll plug my Monday night A-grade Gryffindors uh, poise for greatness in the finals coming up. So uh, if you're in Cairns uh, on a Monday night, uh, the crowd, well, we can expect five or six, just five or six. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it'll be a great night out. Love it, mate. Thank you again. And then look, hopefully next season they can spell your surname right on the uh, on the, the telecast yeah. as well. I noticed a, an L-A-U-G-H-T-O-N once yeah, yeah. yeah. They yeah, I got, I got 50 I got, plus games, didn't yeah, you? Yeah. That's what not is good it, enough. What does it no. take to get your name spelt right around here? Hey? <laughs> it's a tough gig. It's a tough need, gig. I needed no. to win the championship. I just needed to win the championship. Yeah. That's all it needed. <laughs> That's and unfortunately, I couldn't, couldn't get it done. So, uh, yeah. And shout out to Bruce, you two, my former teammate at, at Kings for the championship. I reckon uh, it was really cool to watch him uh, be able to succeed with that and also you know, get his two year sort of deal. So, yeah, shout out to former teammates and great to chat with you, Stu and Nath. Uh, love being on the show and hopefully it goes well. As you continue to rise up. Cheers, eh? You're a bloody legend, mate. We appreciate it so much. Thanks again, mate. All right, sure you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Well, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable couple of hours, basically. Oh, that's brilliant. Away. Absolutely brilliant. Do you have different thoughts on Stephen Zimmerman now that you know that he was maybe on a smaller contract? He still wasn't great, but, <laughs> but no, look, it wasn't it wasn't horrible, but he could have been better. Look, for me, I think the thing I really enjoyed the most was getting the point of view of a, of a guy who's been inside the locker room and, and has a lot of really great feelers out in all parts of the league. Still has connections in Tassie. That was some good insight too. Yeah, absolutely. 
Keep an eye out for more Alex when we do an NBA draft special coming up soon. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sportplugs.